Welcome to African Experts with Vicky Remote, the show that brings you African entrepreneurs, practitioners, researchers, and innovators with big ideas, solutions, and insights on issues shaping African lives across the continent. I am your producer, Brandon Bob McEwen. In services protocol, it's kind of patterned on that, but at the same, at the, um, what they did was they said, okay, yes, we want to 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 have that um, model, but we want to do to go slightly deeper. Mm-hmm. The thing to remember about services and trading services, it's all about regulation. It's all legislation. It's what legislation is put in place for uh, immigration, for instance, on, you know, visas, things like that. Um, So the protocol progressively reduces barriers to trade in services through specific commitments that each country makes. So you have, think of the protocol as like the skeleton then the meat on the bones will be these schedules which say for each Welcome back. Now let's meet our guest, African expert Beatrice Cheto. Beatrice Cheto is an international trade lawyer who specializes in providing advice and support to African governments in their engagement with regional and international trade policy processes. She's currently a senior expert trade and services in the Department of Trade and Industry at the African Union Commission, where she works on negotiations for the establishment of the African Continental Free Trade Area. From 2004 to 2008, Beatrice was a senior trade policy advisor in the Ministry of Trade and Industry in Sierra Leone on assignment by the Commonwealth Secretariat. Prior to her assignment in Sierra Leone, Beatrice worked for nine years as a senior lawyer and then program director at the Foundation for International Environmental Law and Development Field in London, building capacity among developing country negotiators at the World Trade Organization. From 2008 to 2010, she worked with the International Lawyers and Economists Against Poverty, ILEAP, in providing capacity-building support to a number of African regions in their negotiations with the European Union on trade in services under the EPAs and defining solutions and strategies for African countries' needs on aid for trade. Between 2013 and 2017, Beatrice led the law firm Chariot 8, providing legal services to local, regional, and international clients on a range of corporate law matters, including trade, investment, natural resources, and the environment. She has undertaken assignment from DFID, the European Union Commission, and UNFAO. Beatrice, thank you so much for being on African Experts. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Beatrice, other than size, how does AFTA compare to already existing regional economic communities 
on the continent, like the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, or the Common Market for Eastern and Southern Africa, COMISA, and others? And in what ways does AFTA propose to increase trade integration beyond the RECs? Well, actually, the AFTA, in a way, is like 50 years in the making. It's, it's uh, one of the flagship projects of the African Union. And um, it's, uh, it's part of um, Agenda 2063, it's the Africa we want. So the idea is to maximize um, economies of scale. Um, you've heard the, the saying, um, you know, bigger is better. And so when you, you have um, countries like uh, countries in ECOWAS, countries in EAC, countries in SADC all coming together in one African market, then you then get a much larger um, in terms of trade. So for instance, how are ECOWAS countries going to trade with SADC countries if you don't have like a, like a more expanded space? So that's what ACTA does. It brings all these different um, regional and economic um, communities together in this big pool. And then Africa um, trading as one, as a single market, can then have um, a much stronger voice vis-a-vis -vis third countries like, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. or China or um, economic, other economic blocs like the EU. So in a way, that kind of helps strengthen Africa's voice. It helps strengthen Africa's trade, um, trade muscle in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the goal is to leverage what's already existing, right? Sure. So it's, it doesn't disband, but it's like, let's use these already existing RICs as building blocks for bigger um, Africa-wide right. integration. Okay, so this is really, it's really ambitious. And yes. in order for the continent to undertake this process, it means that it requires national policy liberalization for success. This early on, I know we just got started. This early on, are there any countries that are leading the way to facilitate this um, one Africa market agenda? And if so, what are these countries and what are they doing um, to basically speed up um, liberalization? Actually, you know, there's been quite a lot of momentum. That's one really beneficial thing. And for some people, for some outsiders looking in, Africa has kind of taken them by surprise because it's almost like we have, like we say in, in, in Sierra Leone, they get one word, Pandisthiniaso. So, um, of course, you would have the larger groups of countries like, uh, you know, the Kenyas of this world, the South Africans, you know, even a, a small country like Rwanda, but which is also beginning to kind of flex its, its kind of diplomatic and economic muscle. Um, Ghana, for instance, which uh, were the headquarters of the AFCFT secretaries. So you, you really have almost um, all the countries speaking with one voice in terms of we need to get this done like yesterday. You know, they came together in 2012, said, we're going to launch the start of negotiations. We're going to get this done by the end of 2017. In March 2018, they came together and signed the agreement. So in effect, um, there's really been almost consensus around this idea of regional integration, deeper regional integration. Like, we are Africans. Why are we trading with other um, third countries rather than ourselves? We're going to do it.
Right. But are there any countries that you feel like are further along? Or is it that those countries that are more economically developed, like you mentioned, South Africa and Kenya? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Rwanda is such an interesting case because you wouldn't say like Rwanda's economy can compete with that of like South Africa or Kenya or Nigeria. But because of their uh, what seems like a I don't know, a desire to take this like very strong place in Africa as a key player. They always, like most recently, they just seem to be like, you know, every time you turn around, Rwanda is in the chat room. (laughs) And you're like, hey, it's country, what are you doing? Punching above their weight. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. So what what does that look like? What's happening internally in a country like Rwanda, perhaps, on the national liberalization front to make it appear to allow it to punch above its weight on after? Well, I think a country that is um, wanting to take advantage of um, this trade agreement would certainly look at its national trade reform. In terms of Rwanda, I know what they have gotten right already is that they have decided that they will reform their business environment. And if the general business environment is good and conducive, to, to, to domestic business, foreign business, then already you have business confidence. You then have people saying, oh, wait a second, you know, um, I can register my business in like two days or one day or whatever. I can do it online. Uh, when I go for a license, um, the procedures are clear. The, um, you know, the fees aren't, uh, you know, um, astronomical. I can do, th- I can, you know, have the confidence that this is a place I can do business. And I think that's where uh, Rwanda is, uh, is, is, uh, is kind of slightly ahead of the pack in certain respects, where they have said the general business environment has to be good. Right. And with that general business environment, you then get the basis or the foundation for trading. Because if you know, um, your procedures are right, you know, the, the customs uh, procedures are, are good. That's all part of the AFCFTA. Um, then you, you've, you've, got, you've already, you know, got, got yourself started. I know that South Africa already, they are beginning to, to, to um, think about, you know, uh, opening up and making sure that um, procedures are, the customs procedures are compliant with already what is in the, the customs annex in the in the AFCFTA protocol on trading goods. So yeah, countries right now should start because as you said, start of trading um, was launched on the on the first of January. What are we waiting for? Um, already, um, you know, customs officials can start being trained in what does the customs annex say. You know, ministries of trade can send out little information sheets about the AFCFTA to all the um, chambers of commerce in their, in their um, countries. Um, business associations can begin to, to tell their members about the opportunities in the AFCFTA. Mm-hmm. So, no, yeah, I, there's a lot I, that can already happen behind the scenes. Hi, this is Franklin Bob McEwen from the African Experts Podcast. I just want to let you know that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. And also, this show was originally broadcasted as a live stream. You can watch all previous episodes of the African Experts show on africanexpert.net. And now, let's head back to the show. I mean, 
as with most things, right, charity starts at home. At the end of the day, yeah. if your local industry, your local uh, businesses and enterprises are finding it difficult to navigate your local policies, right, because of variation, because they're not streamlined, it's going to yeah. be that much harder for them to succeed locally, but then also even competes regionally, right? Um, so you kind of have to get in your like I, I guess the the people who make the policymakers need to get out of their own way because um, to allow for liberalization, to allow for businesses to grow and thrive, so then they can say, oh, you know, I'm exporting from Rwanda to Ghana, or I'm exporting from Ghana to um, South Africa. Okay, I know that most of your work is primarily in services, and yeah. as I was looking for information about AFTA, I came across the AFTA protocol of. Tr uh, after protocol on trade in services. And I can tell you for as much as I read, I still don't understand what that is. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Beatrice will have to break this down um, because I am in the services sector. So I felt like this is something that was very important for me to understand. Um, so please explain to me for a lay person, right? What the after protocol on trade and services means for firms and companies that do provide services like communications, transport, um, tourism, finance, and banking, which I think are the big ones for uh, trade and services. What do we stand to gain from um, the after protocol on trade and services? Okay. So the trade in services protocol is slightly different from, I don't know if you know anything about the general agreement on trade and services, which is under the WTO. It's kind of patterned on that, but at the same, at the, um, what they did was they said, okay, yes, we want to, to, to have that um, model, but we want to, do, to go slightly deeper. The thing to remember about services and trading services, it's all about regulation. It's all legislation. It's what legislation is put in place for uh, immigration, for instance, on you know visas, things like that. Um, so the protocol progressively reduces barriers to trade in services mm -hmm. through specific commitments that each country makes. So you have. Think of the protocol as like the skeleton. Then the meat on the bones will be these schedules which say for each thing, so far in, in communication, for instance, um, on telecom, they'll say, ah, yes, on, say, postal and courier services, we will liberalize in this way, and they will say, they will put it down in their schedule. That's like the muscle and the veins going into the, to the skeleton. In addition to that, they said, well, just committing may not necessarily, um, everybody commits, but mm -hmm. your regulation may be different from mine in the way you, you write it, in the way you, you implement it. So we will also have a framework of regulatory cooperation to make sure that there's things like transparency in terms of how laws are done or applied to, to different businesses, we will um, say, you know, laws should be widely published, for instance, in like a gazette or a newspaper or online. Um, we will also say, um, you know, the banking um, uh, regulations, we'll all agree that certain prudential regulations are necessary. And so we'll all come together on that. 
So there's like a two-pronged approach to the protocol on, on services, but at its core, it is reducing progressively, and that's the word, it progressively reduces barriers. Yes, yeah, small, 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 small. You have to massage. We have to massage. Exactly. Yes, because no one is saying this is going to happen overnight. This is like this. We're playing a long game here. This is like 10, 15, 20 years of making. And if you think about those building blocks that we're using from the regs, from national. Um, uh, uh, business practices and, and regulations and, and laws, it's like the foundation, then you put the, the you float the, the, you do the, the walls, you float, then you put your roof and everything there, you put all your finishing touches to your house until your house is this beautiful mansion that you want. So mm -hmm. essentially, this is a set of laws set within this framework of, uh, of the treaty. So that's okay. that's essentially it. So one thing that I mean, I, I, we mentioned communication. We mentioned financial services. One yes. of the things, especially communications, and I don't know if uh, you know after we'll touch on this, is that, for example, access to um, so like data, the cost of things, right? The cost of things that are exactly the same, but that African consumers are paying different prices for in different markets. Which to me, oftentimes, it makes no sense. You go to Liberia, one gigabyte of data is one dollar. You come to Sierra Leone, it's two point something dollars. You go somewhere else. So for me, I mean, I'm always thinking about like when we're talking about like intra-Africa trade, right? And if we're talking about regulation across the board, will after impact things like, you know, the cost of things in that way where, you know, MTN in one country has to charge citizens in if, if it's one gigabyte in nigeria it has to, one gigabyte for one dollar in liberia it has to be the same across the board will it impact those kinds of um services in that way well this is where again the marrying of the commitments and the regulatory framework can take place mm -hmm. so um liberia then says we will allow uh you know x number of we, or we will write, we will, we, in our commitment, we will say our um, communications or our ICT or telecoms, our telecoms uh, market is open to other state party. Um, so anyone from that signed up to after that's a state party can come into our market. That already provides, that's liberalization. That's saying you can come in. When you come in, there may be rules and regulations. So there might be some issues about quality of service. There might be issues about, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, universal coverage so that you, you have to put, uh, you know, services in rural areas and things like that. Now, once you, you have competition, once you have that many number of, um, you know, if, if the, the market is available, you have many entrants, then you have costs going down. You sometimes have the regulator, a telecoms regulator saying, oh, by the way, we, we see that your prices are a little high. We need you to kind of like have a ceiling or a, whatever, you know, together with the quality. So that I think is going to be helpful where you have um, you know, the regulation plus the, the, the commitment and the, the regulatory cooperation framework, say might be up. All ECOWAS says, um, 
you know, the, the quality should be like this and um, the pricing structure should be like that. So that's, that's an example of where you have some regulatory cooperation helping the commitments at the same time. Because you could have some sharks that just come in and say, oh, we're just going to charge whatever we want. But if the government says, well, no, we're not allowing that, then there's a much more um, chance that, you know, prices will fall down, will, 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 will drop um, for the consumer. Okay. So, for the we're, we're hope so basically the hope is kind of, it's almost like a trickle down. I don't want to say like, <laughs> like trickle yeah. that we're hoping that more competition yeah. In the market, yes. like the, the more the markets open, and then there's more players in each market, more competition. Yes. You have a trickle down effect on the cost of certain services across the board. Like for example, in a region, right? So maybe it may not be. It, Vicky, it may not even necessarily be trickle down, and it may it may be that because a government says, you know, these are this is our standard, because that's another thing. You, that, um, that AFCFT will help. It will help standard setting. It will make sure that, you know, as I was talking about the quality and, you know, universal coverage. So the government using regulation can say to the, um, to the entrance in the market, we want you to, you know, peg your, um, your, your, your prices at this, at this point because we are comparing and we want to be competitive we want our e-commerce to grow. We want our digital trade to grow. So we want to make sure that we are not priced out of the market. Not only that, we want to develop these regional value chains. Um, so, you know, something, uh, um, uh, uh, um, say an architect making use of um, the, the, the internet to, to sell his architectural designs. He's sitting in, uh, you know, Lome, and he wants to sell to, to Liberia. Yeah, exactly. Or Liberia wanting to sell to Mali. Yes, he, he has to be able to, to, to kind of like factor all of these into his price when, he's, when he's, um, you know, he's selling his architectural design. So all of these um, are backbone services that will help and have a knock-on effect. Right. So for a business owner and enterprise leader who is maybe, I don't know how this would be the first time they're hearing about AFTA, but it is possible because, you know, we've had a pandemic also, which has yeah. taken up a lot of um, basically all the news airtime. But for somebody who's a business leader who's watching right now, how do they engage with their local policymakers to hold them accountable for implementing the AFTA, uh, AFTA regulations? Again, there's strength in numbers. I would advise that they go through their chamber of commerce or their association. If they're an engineer, they might have an engineering council or something like that. So, um, and a lot of um, ministries of trade already do that. They talk to the chamber of commerce. They talk to the chamber of mines or the chamber of agriculture or whatever. Uh, they talk to the business women's council or something. And that's where I think um, my advice to any business person is download the AFCFT agreement from the AU website, read it well, know what it says about your industry. I am laughing, I am laughing because y'all know that agreement is big. Don't be telling people to download that agreement. When I was prepping for the show, I was like, who, who 
section. Look for your section. Okay. All right. <laughs> because I know, I, I know our people. Okay. Uh, I this know. Idea it looks that, too big. It's too big to read. <laughs> and you know, and that's like what I was the ministry. That's what the ministry should be doing. They should be doing this frequently answered question type of um, you know document for their own business and putting that out. That's what they should be saying. They should also be saying, you know, we as a ministry or policymaker, this is what we are doing. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. A lot of we in, in the AUP have been partnering with the UN Economic Commission for Africa to help countries to develop these national AFCFTA strategies. Okay. That kind of lays out for that particular country what they intend to do for to to implement the agreement and to take advantage of it. So the private usually their private sector has been involved in that process. Um, and I so for 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 instance for countries like Zimbabwe I know uh, they've done it Zambia um, Sierra Leone uh, even ECOWAS is doing a regional one. So that can also be um, a question that any business person can say to their ministries of uh, commerce or trade. Do you have an AFCFTA national strategy? Can you send us a copy? We would like to see it. That strategy mm -hmm. says where that country feels they are competitive in which in goods or in services and what they intend, how they intend to take advantage of the AFCFTA. That would be a good starting point. Okay, that's fantastic. Okay, thank you, Beatrice. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to African Experts with Vicky Remo. We'll be right back after this music break. Young Lee on the beat. Young Lee, you don't love me, tell me one time. But don't die long, long time. You just show me that you know the city me west past one one ten. Then they call me John East End to West End. They know his story like a national anthem. You they do me thing them, na me they back back. Na me they vex, they go and na me they come back. When I talk one ten times, you talk back. You they bang the mots for me, you know they look back. Ah, baby, I'm potassa. Baby, I love you every day. But you they this to me every day. I'm making it, me money so. Put the fire for me gasoline. Baby, I love you every day. But you they this to me every day. I'm making it, me money so. Put the fire for me gasoline. I'm going to go show a pay for me. You want the tabuna for pedicure. So, but I'm as Miami, Paris, and Dubai. Make hotel reservation there for me. I'm a woman with class, one of a kind. You think I go back?
That was Lina Samai, also known as Tazi, and Emerson Bokori, popularly known as Emerson, with the song Tell Me Wantem. Stazi is one of the oldest female rappers in Cerulean. The song Tell Me Wantem was released in 2017. And now let's head back to African Experts with Vicky Ramon. Show. If you're just joining us, you're watching African Experts. This is a very good time to sus subscribe to our YouTube channel and to share this broadcast on your feed. With me on the show today is Beatrice Chetal, Senior Expert After Trade Negotiations at the AU. And we've just been talking about how um, businesses and um, chambers of commerce within different African countries can basically talk to policymakers or engage policymakers to find out what their local AFTA strategy is so that they know how they can take advantage of AFTA. Okay, now, considering the varying levels, and I mean varying levels, because, you know, the content is so diverse, considering the varying levels of industrialization and human capital across the continent, how will those from smaller or less developed markets be able to really properly competes in a one Africa market? Who do you think? Yeah, that is a perennial problem, actually. Um, and the inbuilt into the agreement is this notion of variable geometry, which says that, um, you know, each country will uh, be, will implement the agreement to, to, using their own um, uh, capability. So mm -hmm. um, the way that, say, a Kenya um, implements and takes advantage of the AFCFTA is different from how, say, like a Mali or a Mauritania will do that. Mm -hmm. um, some, some countries are coastal, some are landlocked, um, some are like vulnerable um, small island states like Seychelles or, or, or wherever. Um, I think what the analysis that has already been done shows that um, because it's progressive, each country will use its um, available businesses, its available um, civil administration to take advantage of the um, of the agreement. And not everyone will take advantage of the agreement in the exact same way. So some countries will have like strong manufacturing. So take a, a country like um, Ethiopia, where mm -hmm. there's already a strong manufacturing um, uh, element in terms of their business sector. Mm -hmm. Other countries, landlocked, may take advantage. We talked about Rwanda recently. Um, just now, we we see Rwanda trying to become the ICT hub of uh, of East Africa. Mm -hmm. So there are some countries that will take advantage of their um, human resources rather than, say, um, their natural resources. Mm -hmm. um, there are others that will take advantage of their coast, um, focus on tourism. There are others that will. Um, you know, take advantage of like their high tech, like you have, um, you know, like Mauritius, uh, Kenya. So 
the analysis that's been done so far by the UN Economic Commission for Africa, even the World Bank, shows that there's everything to play for. Each country can get something out of it. But as you mentioned at the beginning, the rub is what national legislation are you putting in place? What policy reform are you doing in order to get that done, to make available these uh, um, advantages and benefits for your citizens, for your business community. Or what brands, you know, like, you know, if you, if you know that you have players in your market who really have a potential competitive advantage that will impact your local economy by participating after and exporting, governments and policymakers could have legislation where they establish grants to make basically enterprises that are close to like, you know, those who are like, you know, the creme of the crop, you can be like, okay, here is what we're going to provide to you by way of support. Here's by way of maybe it's tech support that you need. Maybe it's financial support. Maybe it's human capital. Here's what the government is going to provide by way of grants as a way, as some kind of national policy to support local enterprises. I know it's liberalization and capitalism, and everybody likes to think that, you know, capitalism is this like complete hands off um you know, it's completely hands off from government, but it's not across the EU, in the US, in the UK. We've seen time and time again, governments intervening to support businesses that are too big to fail or, or sectors that are too big to fail. So I think one of the key things in terms of what after promises, if, if governments and policymakers are really, really serious, you could develop policy and create, you know, put together some sum of money and say, hey, you know, we really want this sector to thrive. We think that we have players that are already there. Here's what we're bringing in to support these industries. And I think that, yes, yeah, small countries could have sectors where, where you look at the GDP of that country, it's like, okay, this is a very small economy. But when you look at that sector, you're like, oh, okay, we see you. <laughs> so we really have to, governments have to give their, um, their, their industry a fighting chance, um, both in policy and you know, resources. Yeah. And what the, 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 for instance, the protocol on trade in services, there's an article there that talks about the right to regulate. It recognizes the right of any government to regulate in accordance with its public policy objectives, etc. And so the way the country or the government implements the agreement will be in line with those public policy objectives. So for instance, if you've got a strong focus on gender, on the environment, then your implementation of the agreement will color how you, um, you, know, you benefit from the agreement and, and, and how you implement. So. Mm -hmm. so one of the things that I've been curious about is um, how like trying to imagine how this marketplace would work. The minute anybody says marketplace to me, I think of a website, right? I'm like, <laughs> is there one website where all Africa, so specifically for services, where is this marketplace, right? How does someone in Ghana even know that there are opportunities in Mali or Congo or in Zambia? Like where, how will that, that drive integration where do we where would we know and how would we know of these opportunities that are cross border um as i mentioned um once it, it it's not like um 
So services, for instance, is slightly different from goods, where for goods, all you need is the tariff schedule. So, for instance, we know that tariffs will come down in about 90% of the, of the, um, of the tariff lines, um, and progressively they will get to zero you know, in five years and 10 years, et cetera. Now, for services, as I told you, a lot of it is behind the border. Some, uh, there's either some law, some regulation, or it can be um, rules that, for instance, a, um, a law society or a bar association makes that determines whether anyone can enter that market. So really the idea would be um, that once, these, um, once the market's open, then um, there will be, first of all, the, the, the commitments will be published they'll be known and then as members as different state parties take advantage more and more of this information will get out into the public a lot of the information has to be made public through as i said law and regulation but who's going to say for instance who's going to know um you know if mauritania has anything in its official gazette unless you're actually there um so as i said there's a very um, key role where the, the chambers of commerce, um, uh, other business associations make this known. They come together. Um, and as more and more um, of, uh, of, the, of the, the, the markets open, then it's almost like osmosis. It, it, will, it will get out. At this point, there is, um, I don't know if you, you already know about the, um, an online uh, portal called uh, Sukoku that is, um, you know, endorsed by the AU, which is... Um, oh, tell us about the it. E-Trade. on there tomorrow. <laughs> yes, yes. It's the Africa E-Trade portal. And that's seeking to kind of be almost this continent-wide portal where, and, and, and very embracing of... Um, SMEs, by the way, in order to, to kind of create this kind of like online uh, um, a platform where business does its business. It's kind of like where business interacts, where you have matchups, meetups, uh, information flow, um, because it, especially for services, information is key, you know, and how you get access to the information is also key. Um, which sources? Um, so uh, this this portal aims to kind of provide that and try to bring bring that um, that information to the business community, as well as make have a space where business community can meet and do business. Um, but uh, otherwise, yes, it's it's through national law, and then of course um, where the the AFCFTA secretariat will come in. Um, hopefully, they will do public um, forums. They will have a symposium and, and, and um, events where they can tell the public what um, is, is available in terms of uh, market opening, etc. 
I think one of the biggest things for SMEs, especially for goods, is um, logistics, right? Ultimately, right now, I find that, and I think most people on the continent who are producers who are making things, the biggest thing is the only reliable way to get your product to another African country is DHL. Right. And so that ends up being like a huge hindrance for that e potential e-commerce driven trade, um, retail of so many things like, uh, you know, artisanal products or fashion, et cetera, et cetera. You would have a dress that's going to cost you maybe $40 when you buy it. But the shipping cost from, you know, Ghana to Kenya is going to be the cost of the dress plus customs when it arrives. Is there, I mean, how do we, how does After Envision um, kind of reducing that kind of barrier? Mm -hmm. So, um, Vicky, you're talking about the current situation. Remember, mm -hmm. In fact, there are now, there are five, right now we are negotiating uh, liberalization on five priority sectors, mm -hmm. business, communication, financial, transport, and tourism. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking the current situation where um, there hasn't been much uh, liberalization and there hasn't been much trade and therefore logistics is difficult between African countries. Once the barriers come down, you will see transport links. You will see, um, you know, logistics. You will see distribution centers. You'll see warehouses. If you can imagine the amount of infrastructure that needs to go into setting up transport hubs, for instance, you know? Um, and therefore, you also need the law to back that up, don't you? You need the commitment, and then you need the law. So right now, all we have is DHL. But once there's liberalization, imagine, imagine, say, all the, the, the Manor River Union countries saying to Actually, DHL, no, you know, you're, going, you're going into my, my next question, which is the next okay. question before question which is which is great because it is about the vision right it's about the yes. future yeah let's let's talk about a decade from now a decade from yes. now if we are on the right track what can we expect in terms of trade on the after not today because right now we all know the problems but looking ahead and i don't want to say 30 years from now because i keep no. telling people Ten. i i my vision of Africa is one where I, it's not for my children or my children's children. Yeah, it is for me myself to enjoy. I don't want to wait. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's for the future. I said, no, it is for me. Vicky wants to enjoy it now. So 10 years from now, yes, I think that 10 years from now, inshallah, we're all still here in good yeah. health and and, and and we're all together. But 10 years from now, if we, we, we get it right today, right? 10 years from now, what is the vision? How would AFTA look like the Africa we want and need in terms of trade, um, trade services, trade, trade in goods and services? Okay. 10 years from now, 90% of tariff lines would have come down to zero not just in like the developing countries of, of Africa, but also in the least developed countries, the countries like Sierra Leone, like Gambia, 
there would be zero. Because of that, there would be inputs into manufacturing. Manufacturing would have exploded on the continent. Regional value chains would have developed. So for instance, you take a, a, um, you know, a grain like Fonio, for instance, Funde, that we all imagine it being uh, produced uh, in Sierra Leone and, and Gambia, shipped to Senegal, uh, processed, boxed, made into breakfast cereal, made into grain, made into all kinds, biscuits, whatever. Um, I'm dream with you. <laughs> yeah, internet. I mean, ports would have been started to have been built, airports, seaports, transportation links. There would be like a ferry uh, service from uh, Dakar all the way to Douala. You know, um, there will you're be. Selling, you're selling. I'm telling you, I so believe in this vision. I so believe in it because. If, if we don't do it, if we don't do it, then, I mean, we've tried the other stuff, haven't we? We've tried the other stuff. Not only that, in your industry, the creative industry, imagine, you know, um, hairdressers, fashion uh, uh, designers, they're all now out there um, producing, creating. They, they are able to kind of like jump on a plane, go and service a uh, a music festival, a fashion show, you know, um, products are, 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 are being developed and um, they, there is um, simplified customs procedures. Um, standards have been developed and are constantly being developed. Products, research and development, governments have understood the, under, the, the, the value of research and development and science and they are pumping money through through TVET institutions, they've changed the curriculum to focus very much on what Africa produces and what, where, where it's going. It's also um, leading the way in terms of um, the, the blue economy, the green economy, because we know that climate change is going to affect our agriculture. And um, uh, women, uh, entrepreneurs, they're simplified um, customs procedures for them. Ten years from now, they're able to kind of like, uh, you know, like send their customs declarations online to the customs official. When they get there, it's all like, yep, 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 zip, zip, zip. I'm here for this afternoon. Yes, my dear. We have to be here for it. So... This is the vision and this is what will happen. I am telling you, I'm prophesying that this is what will happen because there is consensus about the need for it to happen. Africa has decided it's not going to be the, the, the forgotten continent or the, you know, the, the, the begging bowl of, of the world. We have decided we're going to come together Yes, in context, within the context of what's going on right now with regards to the vaccine, right, that richer countries have decided that because it is their vaccines that have been manufactured by their industries, by their ph pharmaceutical industries, that they're not going to allow us to get these patents, right? When, you know, no no African country, not even a group of African countries have been able to produce or manufacture a vaccine. We want to see a world where there is a global crisis and Africa can have an Africa 
response that um, answers the problems of Africans for Africans. And if we consistently stay in the place where we are now, where we're waiting for people to give us, you know, donor vaccines, 100,000 here, knowing full well it's not going to meet what we need, um, it's, it's really a joke. So I'm definitely here for the vision. We're going to take a short break, but if you have any questions, now's the time to ask it. Um, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with questions from all of you. Thank you so much. So good. This show was proudly sponsored by Adama Loves Akara. Welcome back. Um, I'm talking to Beatrice Cheto, um, who is a senior trade expert and advisor at the AU, and we're talking about AFTA for businesses. Now we're going to go to some questions from our audience. What are What is our first question for today? Okay, the first question comes from Judge Walker, who's watching on YouTube. Do African countries buy into regional trade? Um, trading with each other is ECOWAS, MRU. Is it working to its full potential? I think we already know the answer to that, but go ahead. It's not working to its full potential, and there is always... The thing about it is um, everybody asks the question. People say, ah, African countries, they've been in GATS. Nothing has changed. Nothing has, has helped them. They've been in ECOWAS. They've been in EAC. But I believe that this time, because it is written by Africans, it's been developed by Africans, this particular trade agreement, mm -hmm. there is um, more of an incentive to do something. And the... Um, if they don't do anything, having written this beautiful agreement, then, you know, what would be the point of writing it? The fact is they want to trade with each other, and this is the route to do so. So they will do it. They believe in it. Okay. Um, can we take the next question, please? The next question is, I personally do not believe the whole concept with the African Union of Trade Agreements. My question is, what positive impacts will this trade agreement cause if Africa does not have a central bank to regulate the economic standard in all member states and one currency? This is a really fantastic question because we know that the ECOWAS has promised us the echo since before I maybe could even read. We still don't have an echo, but I think this is a very legitimate question. Um, how do we do trade when we don't have one currency and we don't have a one central bank. So I think there are a couple of issues here in this question. The first thing to note is that this uh, AFCFTA is just a, a trade agreement. It's not a customs union. So it won't do monetary policy. Okay, so that's the, that's the first thing. Um, it's different from EAC and ECOWAS where those are customs unions and that's one step um, further on in terms of integration from a trade agreement. This is just a broad trade agreement which has all these countries coming together. But just like you have all these different tools um, to assist, so you have um, you know, stuff on, on infrastructure happening through PIDA, the program on in infrastructure development in Africa, you also have um, institutions like Afreximbank Bank helping um, AU and the AFCFTA Secretariat with something called PAPS, the Pan-African Payment System. So, so Vicky, you're sitting in, um, you're, you're a dress designer, you're sitting in Sierra Leone, you have a customer in, uh, in Lagos. You can 
um, basically uh, say to your customer, my, my, this dress that I'm making for you costs uh, um, how, how many leons? That customer sitting in Lagos can pay in uh, Naira and you will get the money in leons. And it's basically like a, like an app. Is this through like some kind of it's app? not an app. It's, okay. it, it hasn't it hasn't been fully defined yet. But essentially, okay. it will cut the cost and the hassle of having to convert to dollars and then reconvert back into your currency. Right. So that that will actually be a tool that will help strengthen and deepen integration because you will you won't have to 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 um, to worry about going to go and get currency uh, a foreign currency exchange it uh, uh, pay there and then you know all that will be cut out you your your local currency will be will be sufficient to pay and you will get it in the equivalent and the, with the equivalent value that's the important thing okay um, can we take the next question please um, oh, um, Ali Matsu wants to know which which countries currently have an after uh, national strategy that is kind of gender driven. Um, I don't actually know the answer to that, but I do know that many of the of the the countries that have developed uh, AFCFTA strategies have some kind of gender di division di dimension, but I wouldn't say they're gender driven. It would be great if they did have this gender lens. Um, mm -hmm. And we know actually that down the line, there will be a protocol on women in trade under AFTA. So that's a good thing. But also the AFTA itself has, um, as one of its uh, aspirations, is um, gender equality and the promotion of, um, of gender equality. And that is linked to the transformation of um, AFTA. African economies. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, personally, I'm like, there's no economy in the world that has developed without providing equal access, equal opportunities, and support to women. Like, half of your population is not going to develop your economy. No country is going to come out of poverty with half of its pulp population out of decision-making, not participating in trade. So any country that doesn't want to develop, right. continue, continue to keep your right. back. You will not go anywhere. <laughs> because we can earn, yes, we are. We can earn and we can spend. So if you do not right. allow women in your to to participate in the economy, it's basically your loss. Um, yeah. The other com this is more of a comment. It said, "Would after work if there's no political will?" Of course not. And that's what I was trying to tell you, um, Vicky. That the countries that have negotiated this agreement actually believe in it. Otherwise, they would they wouldn't have even shown up. Right. Everyone was saying, ah, oh, Africans, you know, Africans, they talk, they talk, but they can never agree. They were like, ah, oh, it's never going to happen. This agreement will never get, um, get, get concluded. It will never get signed. At every step of the way, we have confounded the naysayers. We, we signed on, the, on March to, uh, 20, in March 2018, 44 countries signed. By May, by April 2019, we had 22 signatories, uh, 22 uh, ratifications, and the agreement came into force almost a year to um, a year to the not not a year to the day, but like um, a year 
plus one month plus one day, and and it was right. Uh, it was it entered into force. So even now, people are saying, "Yeah, you got it ratified. It entered into force, but it'll never be implemented." I just say, watch and see. There's a there's a sense there's a there's something in the air where Africans have decided, as I told you, they're not going to be you know, the, the, the beggar anymore. They're going to say, we, this is who we are. This is where we are. We have resources. We can make use of those resources. You look at a country like Congo. Congo's not going to be a basket case forever. It's signed on. It's, it will soon ratify. Once it does, think of all those, you know, ports, bridges, roads um, that, that will be developed. Data centers there's so much to play for here and there is so much momentum driving this and there's a sense that even now the business community as you can see is kind of coming on board and saying hey what's this thing what what can we get out of it here we are thank you so much and with that we've come to the end of today's african experts because AFTA is a vision that really is over 50 years old, today I would like to leave you with a quote from Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, that he, uh, words from him that he said at the AU, at the founding of the AU on 24th May 1963. We need unified economic planning for Africa until the economic power of Africa is in our hands. The masses can have no real concern and no real interest for safeguarding our security, for ensuring the stability of our regimes, and for bending their strength to the fulfillment of our ends. With our united resources, energies, and talents, we have the means. As soon as we show the will to transform the economic structures of our individual states, from poverty to that of wealth, from inequality to the satisfaction of popular needs, only on a continental basis shall we be able to plan the proper utilization of all our resources for the full development of our Until next week, Unatata and Tenki from all of us here at African Expert. Ciao.